Let's return to Psalm 79 and consider the second part of a biblical response to God's judgment. Now, last time we noted some background information here on Psalm 79. Particularly, it's the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. At that time, the people, the princes in particular of of Judah, were taken into captivity. And this destruction and captivity were foretold by God through the prophets. Continuously, the prophets had warned Israel to repent of their harlotry before it was too late. And as we noted, false prophets rose up who mocked God and assured the people that the city would never fall and they would never go into captivity. Nonetheless, God leveled judgment on the kingdom of Judah. And so this psalm, written by the sons of Asaph, written by the descendants of Asaph, these are Levites, uh, priests, they're surviving, they're still living there in, in the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, and they're taking in the remnants of what is left behind, the remnants of the city, the remnants of the temple. And so the question is raised, how does one respond to God's judgment? And so we note it in verses 1 through 4, the problem, and then verses 5 through 12 is the petition, and then verse 13 is the praise. Now we covered the problem and the first part of the petition last time, but let's again, for sake of clarity, recap the problem. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of heaven, the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. So again, the nations have come into the inheritance, to the land of Judah, and they have defiled the temple. Jerusalem is laid in ruins. And uh, we see here that the body of the priest are, are scattered throughout the city. They're lying there unburied, exposed to the birds and the beast. And again, this is a fulfillment of the curse of Deuteronomy 28 and verse 26. And we see this massive destruction in turn evokes Israel's neighbors to mock Israel. Again, we see this in Psalm, back in Psalm 44, verses 13 and 14. And so how does the psalmist now deal with God's judgment? Well, that brings us to the petition in verses 5 through 12, the petition. And as we noted last time, there are three parts to this petition. There is the prayer for vindication in verses 5 through 7. There's the prayer for forgiveness in verses 8 and 9, and a prayer for reprisal in verses 10 through 12. And these three parts of the prayer form this petition aspect of how we respond to God's judgment. So first, what do we do? We have to acknowledge there's a problem. God has judged, okay? Let's not try to whittle it away. Let's not try to brush it under the carpet or ignore it. There's a problem. God has judged. In response to that now, we must petition God. And the first part of that petition is in verses 5 through 7, and that is a prayer for vindication. And as we noted last time, uh, part of that vindication is first and foremost acknowledging, God, you were right in bringing judgment because we've sinned. We've sinned against you. As well as part of that 
plea or part of that petition, that prayer of vindication in verses 5 through 7, is that God would now turn judgment against their Gentile oppressors. And this is something that we see all throughout uh, Scripture, is that God often raises up our enemies to enforce or invoke judgment against us as his people. But at the same time, God is just and bound to his promises. And so when the enemy has executed, then God in turn must now bring judgment against them. Do I understand uh, the balance of God's justice? No. But do I know that God's justice is holy? Yes. Okay. His ways are inscrutable. His ways are unknown to us. We cannot even begin to fathom how God operates. Nonetheless, we need to pray for vindication. God, vindicate us. Yes, we, we've sinned. God, don't let our enemies continue their evil ways. Now, he moves on. After asking for judgment against the Gentiles, the psalmist asked the Lord to change his relationship with Israel. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers. And I noted last time that that phrase, iniquities of our forefathers, can be rendered as our former iniquities. In other words, the psalmist is saying we bear the consequence of this rebellion. We sinned. Okay. Now, certainly their uh, ancestors had sinned, but in particular, this judgment has come because we have sinned. And so they cry for forgiveness and mercy. And who is the only one to help but the God of our salvation, the God of our deliverance? And uh, we notice some things there about the word deliver. It means to snatch prey out of the animal's mouth. Israel is asking God, pull us out of the, of the jaws of our enemies and give us forgiveness, give us atonement, give us propitiation. And so when God acts, he will be glorified. And so the psalmist asks in verse 10, why the nation should get away with assuming God's absence. Now here is the prayer for reprisal. The prayer for reprisal. Lord, look at us. We need to be avenged. The Gentile nations, the pagan nations, uh, have assumed you are absent. He cries out for the peoples in our sight, that is Israel's neighbors, to experience the avenging of the blood of your servants, the innocent blood who died with the guilty when Jerusalem was destroyed. Now there's an interesting aspect to the prayer. Sometimes the godly get caught up in the judgment against the guilty. I'll say it again. Sometimes the godly get caught up in the judgment against the guilty. Now, that said, as, he, as the psalmist prays for reprisal against the enemies, he says, God, prove yourself to be God with retributive justice. Destroy those who have destroyed your people, not for the sake of the guilty, but for the sake of the godly. And so, let's talk about God's retributive justice for a moment. In God's sovereignty, he used Pharaoh. As In God's sovereignty, he now uses Nebuchadnezzar as an executor of his justice. Now, that said... This in no way vindicates Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar as righteous, nor does God using them as his means of justice absolve them 
from punishment. And now in verse 11, the psalmist emotionally appeals to God to act. He pictures the prisoner of war groaning under the oppressor's yoke. God, we're those prisoners of war. We're under the oppressor's yoke. And God, hear our groaning. And second, he sees those doomed to die. God, preserve them according to the greatness, the awesomeness of your power. God, act and set the captive free. Now, all of that is being prayed by these survivors. You know, they may have survived the destruction, but the ongoing circumstances that they are facing are those of oppression. They may not have been taken captive to Babylon, but they're now suffering under the oppression of loss, the loss of home, the loss of security, the loss of food, the loss of friends, the loss of family. The loss goes on and on. And this is followed by a curse in verse 12. The psalmist prays, he cries out for reprisal and asks that the mocking neighbors would receive sevenfold in their bosom the reproaches with which they have reproached Israel. Now these taunts were summarized in verse 10 when the nation says, where is their God? And when Yahweh acts, their gods will vanish from the sea. Now again, their gods aren't real. They're, they're just false images, but nonetheless, he pictures their gods as just simply vanishing. And now, what he wants is God to return sevenfold to them, seven times what they have given Israel. You know, and that's a theme that we see throughout Scripture, even going back to uh, the curse on Cain, that if anybody would attack Cain, uh, they would receive sevenfold uh, the judgment that God had placed upon Cain. We see it also the reverse as to how, how often should we forgive those who hurt us. Uh, Seventy times seven, this multiplication of sevenfold. But here it's a sevenfold curse. Curse them seven times with what we have been cursed with. You know, and, and this petition, this threefold petition is very unique, but it is a proper and biblical response to God's judgment. There, there's, when God judges, we ought to pray for vindication. We ought to pray for forgiveness. We can't go any further without forgiveness. And then there's an, there is a proper aspect of praying for reprisal. God, take up our cause. Because once God's judgment comes, let me tell you, the world, the pagan world sees it and they begin to mock and laugh. We have to pray for God to reprise against them. Because we, yes, we have sinned, and this is a consequence of our sin and God's judgment, but we, because of our sin and judgment, don't want God's good name to be tarnished. And so we pray, God, we pray a prayer of reprisal. God, take up our cause and return to those who have done us evil seven times. We close with verse 13. So we, your people and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To all generations, we will tell of your praise. So again, when we talk about a proper response to God's judgment or a biblical response to God's judgment, we've got to begin with the problem, okay? You have to identify that this is judgment. And that means you've got to take stock. You've got to take an honest look and say, why are these things befalling me? Is it because I've sinned? And if it is, then you need to say yes. Not try to excuse it, not try to rationalize it away. And then you need to petition God. You need to pray for vindication. You need to pray for forgiveness. You need to pray for reprisal. 
but it doesn't stop there. The third part of a biblical response to God's judgment is to praise God. Now understand when this praise comes in verse 13, they've simply prayed. They've petitioned God. This praise does not occur after God acts. They're praising God before he acts, before he vindicates them, before he's forgiven them, and before he's reprised uh, on their, their enemies on their behalf. And so we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, give thanks to you forever. To all generations, we will tell of your praise. When God acts for Israel's sake, thank and praise should be is the result. And when God acts on our behalf, praise and thanks should be the result. How many times has God acted on your behalf that you have failed to give thanks and praise to God? Friends, I give you a warning. That is laying the groundwork, the foundation, for God to drop some more judgment on you. When God acts on your behalf, believer, you need to stop and thank and praise God. Now, the psalmist employs a common image here as he promises renewal in his worship. He says, we are the sheep of your pasture. He's acknowledging that God is their shepherd. They have wandered, but now they're back in the pasture. And as we read in Psalm 100 and verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He's giving thanks to God because he already knows that God is going to restore them into relationship with them, he is going to bring them back into the sheepfold. You know, and that same image of sheep applies to us as Christians. You know, Jesus gave that uh, illustration, that parable of the, of the shepherd and the sheep. You know, here's the sheepfold, and one of those sheep wanders. And that sheep wanders away, and then it needs to be rescued. That's a picture of us when we sin. We go, we we were out of the sheepfold. We're not where we belong, and then we've got to we've got to be found. Now, sometimes, what does God have to do? What does the shepherd do to a sheep if it continues to wander? He has to sometimes judge it, punish it by breaking its leg so that it will no longer wander. And that's what God does to us at times. He needs to break our leg, if you will. He sends judgment into our life so that we will not continue to wander. But notice the shepherd always goes out and brings the sheep back to the sheepfold, back to the pasture land. And therefore, that relationship is restored and we need to worship God by thanking him. Now notice this thanks is forever. It's to be perpetual thanks. There should always be thanks on our lips. And praise. What is praise? Praise is a public witness to God's mighty works. You know, you thank God in your heart. Oh, Lord, thank you for doing this. But then you need to praise God. You need to publicly proclaim what God has done. You know, there, there's none of this quiet, oh, thank you, Jesus, da-da-da-da-da, and that's it. No, you need to do that, but then you also need to publicly testify to what God did. And so the present grief that these survivors are, are experiencing after going through the judgment of God is now being turned to present praise. The tears are being wiped away, and in their place, joy is about to be experienced. And it's going to be expressed in worship, the worship of thanks and praise. 
And so, friends, you find yourself in, a, in God's judgment. You find yourself acknowledging, man, I've sinned and God brought this judgment into my life. What am I to do? What's the biblical response? The biblical response is acknowledge the problem. Okay, number one, you got to acknowledge the problem. Number two, petition God. Pray for vindication. Pray that God doesn't leave you where you're at. Pray that he takes up your cause. Pray for God's forgiveness. Okay, that, that you know, where there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. And where there's no forgiveness, there can be no restoration of fellowship. And pray for reprisal. Pray that God would take up our cause and shut the mouths of the lions. Not only deliver us, but take care of those enemies that are now mocking God. And then finally, we need to praise God. We need to give thanks, but then we also need to give praise. We need to publicly declare what God has done. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, the Almighty One, the Everlasting One, we come to you through the great shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ. And Father God, as we approach your throne, we come for grace and mercy. We come for help. Because Lord, if we were to all be honest, we have all at some point experienced your judgment. Perhaps even now, there are some who are under your mighty hand of judgment. And so, Father, help us to acknowledge the problem. Help us, Lord, to see what we have done. And then, Father, may we petition you. May we come to you. Lord, I pray even now that you would vindicate us. Leave us don't leave us in that, in that state of judgment. Don't leave us in that state of derision. I pray, Lord, that, Father, you would forgive us. That, Father, any sin that we have committed, whether your judgment has come or not, if we know there's a sin, Father, we confess it, we forsake it, we cry out to you for help. And now, Lord, we would be remiss not to give you praise. Praising you, Father, for delivering us. Praising you for and thanking you for keeping us from the evil one. Continue to protect and lead us, Lord. And we ask now that you would get all the praise, you would get all the thanks, both now and forever. And we say, Amen.